Welcome to Season 2, Episode 22 of Comic Book Nation, the official podcast of comicbook.com. I am your host, Kofi Outlaw, and we're trying this again, and hopefully I don't lag. With me today are my crew, Matthew Aguilar is here. What up? We have producer Jim Viscardi with us. Hello. And our night editor slash Star Wars expert, J.K. Schmidt, is here too. Happy to be here, as always. Yeah, I said that when this this time I said it really fast, so hopefully if I lag, we we don't have to cut. We got it all in one in one <laughs> shot. So can't trust this home internet. This is it's hairy out here, but we're still in quarantine, just like everybody else, trying to make do with what we got in front of us. And that includes all our wonderful home internet here in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, we have a lot to talk about today. First and foremost, we have a our first like legit celebrity guest. Star Wars Ashley Eckstein is joining us for an interview segment that you can listen to at the end of the show. Uh, it's about the uh, last 30 minutes or so of the show. If you want to jump ahead and catch that, uh, I can understand the appeal of listening to uh, Sokotano speak as opposed to listening to all of us. But we were very happy to talk with her. She's launching a new Star Wars themed children's book called I Am a Padawan in the I Am series. And it's centered around Ahsoka and it, it does some pretty amazing things with kind of teaching children about going your own path and being your own way in a way that only Ahsoka Tano's story could tell. So she talks with us about that and, of course, about the larger Star Wars universe. It's a great interview. Be sure to either stick around or go ahead and check that out. Otherwise, if you're just listening to us, the guys here, we are going to be talking about a variety of things today. We're going to talk about something that was kind of interesting that people are cooking up for the MCU. If you want to go back and watch your MCU movies, we have some alternate ways you can maybe do that. That might be fun. We're going to talk a little bit about the Ozark season three. Uh, I think I touched on this, but we're going to talk a little quickly about the spoilers and breakdown of season three. PS5 has debuted its new controller. We got to talk about that. Matt really wants to talk about this comic book thing he's all about with another carnage thing. You know him and his carnage. <laughs> Second only to cardiac. So we're going to talk about wow. something that Marvel could have done with cardiac. That is not true. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's like cardiac and then... Cardiac's like really high. Squirrel girl, I'm squirrel not. girl, then carnage somewhere. I'm just going to put the, the, the tease on this one. It's about symbiotes in the heat. Mm. Boom. There you go. <laughs> if that's the tease for you, if you're still with us, and that's the tease. <laughs> no, we're talk about Marvel almost got freaky with symbiotes. <laughs> Uh, and we have impressions of Final Fantasy VII Remake shared with us by the gaming team. By the time you hear this, you're going to be seeing a lot more about that game on comicbook.com gaming. But we have some first impressions from the gaming team that we wanted to share with you guys. So it's that's everything. Yeah, I mean, this is all stuff designed to make your quarantine a better life. So here we go. Starting at the top. So the MCU. We know we have the MCU. Infinity Saga phases one through three. Uh, a site called The Direct and other Marvel fans have been kind of busy cooking up various ways to utilize the MCU while in quarantine. And they came up with an alternate set of viewing orders for the MCU that were kind of interesting. And we wrote up and they're on comicbook.com Marvel. And basically they kind of organize it by category. And it's like the side character cut, which basically takes you through the films about side characters in the MCU first like Ant-Man, Captain Marvel, Black Panther, people who were kind of impacted by the events of the main Avengers squad, but are kind of peripheral to those first like Avengers arc. Um, that was a kind of interesting. There's a cosmic cut. There's kind of character-focused ones for just Iron Man and Captain America that you could do their whole storylines. 
And so there's the, if you just don't want to do the characters, if you want to chase the MacGuffins, there's a whole Infinity Stone kind of cut that you can watch a series of films. And so it's very interesting because it just kind of raised one question that I thought I'd throw out to you guys, which is, do you believe in these kind of like alternate ways of watching the MCU? Or do you think it has to be just the pure, here's how we got it, here's how you should watch it kind of ordering all this? Because people have always done, have always been doing these alternate ones, right? Like one of the most other kind of popular ones is the chronological version where you kind of watch the actual historical events of the MCU unfold as they unfolded, which would mean like, you know, throwing Captain Marvel in front of Iron Man and and doing all that stuff. So do you guys believe in this and do you have your own kind of special MCU watching order or do you just like watch your favorites and don't care? (laughs) Um, I mean, I'm totally down for this because I don't think we really need Brandon Davis for this. Like, I don't think, I don't think the MCU, like, I mean, I know a lot of it was planned out and a lot of this is meticulously planned from movie to movie and, like, there's an overarching plan and stuff. But as far as, like, the overall thing, like, 10 years later, not everything was laid out that has occurred till now at the very, very beginning. Like, this is an ebb and flow thing. Things are moved and shifted and adapted. So I don't feel like... I, I can't believe that at the very beginning of all the planning of the Marvel movies, they went, okay, Captain Marvel is going to be set in the past and we're going to establish the scrolls that way. Like to me, that that's not something that was all thought of at the same time, because obviously like, why would it be? They were focused on a big picture, but just establishing the Avengers at that point, nonetheless, all this other stuff. So because there's that natural ebb and flow, like, yeah, I like these. I, I like these that, okay, now that we have what's there, go and tinker around with it and find the best way to view it because this stuff wasn't, it it would be different if it was like the Lord of the Rings, like the trilogy, right? Like rearranging those. Yeah. Okay. No, there's a set thing and that's what you do. But with this and all the moving around in timelines, nah, I don't have a problem with that. I think it's cool. Here's what this shows. This shows that Marvel fans have gotten so bored because there has not been an MCU movie. Well, to be fair, that that they are coming weird. up with that is alternate the ways. Our article about this is people are bored, and this is what we're doing. Yeah, of course. That's it. People are finding new ways to watch the movies that they all had to watch a year ago, leading into Endgame, and and this is how they're killing time. I mean, is there anything wrong with it? No. I think what will happen is inevitably down the line, people are going to um, say like, "No, this is the definitive way to watch it," or "This is the." Um, uh, you know, this is how you have to watch it, and that's where it, it, it gets a little dangerous. But other than that, I mean, watch watch them how you want to watch them. If it's if it makes it a fun adventure for you, great. But um, I just love it. I love it when people get creative like this. It's JK, fun. bring the wisdom of Star Wars example to this. <laughs> well, I mean, like, I just think that it, it shows the strength of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and how long they've been doing this and how many movies that they have is that there are so many different aspects that people can kind of pick together and piecemeal and put put back apart. I just think that's a pretty cool aspect of the entire franchise. And I mean, people are going to do whatever they're going to do, especially, you know, when you get to like the Reddit threads where people are are finding connections that maybe are a little dubious or don't exist at all, you know? Um, let people have fun. Let people do what they want. And especially right now, I'm not one to judge anyone for how they spend their free time. So g- go go on. Make your watch list. In fact, make all the YouTube compilation videos that you want because those are a little bit more entertaining than watching the entirety of, you know, like – 
Captain America, the first Avenger, or yo, stop or it, right Dark now. World. We're shutting. I wish we could shut down mics on this sometime. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, what do you think the over under is that Marvel starts playing in this pool and is like, here's the definitive and the definitive and Infinity Saga cut, like you know, with their own kind of crazy ordering where they basically just rebox all the movies and send it to you and like. I mean, I mean, it's a it's a brilliant it's a brilliant sales strategy. Uh, I, I it, they have to me, stu- Marvel Studios has played so. Um, they seem, you know, when they when they release new phases or they, you know, they do like this, they they it seems like they try and map it out as carefully as they can. Now, when you look back at you know some of the earlier phases, they had no idea what movies. Were I was here for since phase one. I've well, right. seen every blunder. I can. I have a whole list of those. <laughs> But they, but like, but they had no idea at that point. I think now they, they now that they know what they've built, they're going to be way more careful with how they do it. That it, I don't think it would necessarily make sense for them to try and retroact because there's nobody there. Like Kevin Feige is not George Lucas. Like he is not gonna, you know, or you know, want to go back or or fiddle with stuff or or we'll whatnot. Like he's just gonna zero. let it happen and and go from there. Yeah, so I mean, I guess that's as good as explanation as any. They do know what they're doing. Like I said, I've been here for a lot of the early blunders, but they seem to have it together now. But I'm, I'll be curious to see when all the movies are out and, or just another phase is out, how they begin to maybe spin and repackage these things. Because as it grows and the story grows, I feel like you will have room for like a definitive collection or something. But we'll see. So that's everything on the Marvel front. Um, I just wanted to touch real quick on give you guys something. If you're streaming, we don't have like obviously movie reviews or TV reviews right now because everything's on hiatus until this pandemic is over. But uh, Ozark season three is out on Netflix and I think we touched on it last show, but I've seen the whole thing now. So I just wanted to go really quick through just um, give you guys a hint. Uh, It's kind of a spoilish discussion, but I'm not going to really spoil anything because I feel like more people need to see it. Did anybody here see it? I did. Did not. Okay. Um, but yeah, Ozark season three is kind of a wild ride. It picks up with the bird family having opened this legitimate casino front for the, uh, Navarro cartel who they work for, but, uh, they think it's supposed to be on easy street. The hard part was getting here, but of course it, it only gets deeper as their crime saga deepens. They basically kind of get locked into a lot of problems on keeping legitimacy and the illegal side separated. Uh, they get into it with uh, cartel lawyer Helen Pierce, who becomes kind of like a villain this season. And they have to kind of, and the Bird family's kind of going at each other. Marty and Wendy are kind of falling out and competing against each other instead of kind of working together. And it leads to some pretty crazy things. And it also has a kind of guest spot from uh, the guy who played uh, we- Ward Meacham. I just forgot his name. Tom, I think it's something, Tom, something. Pelfrey? Uh, Tom Pelfrey. Yeah, Tom Pelfrey, yeah. Uh, well, I didn't know it was him until I was like doing a write up of the season ending, and I was actually like looking on IMDb and getting like actor names for each character. I was like, "Oh my god, that's Ward Meacham!" He's like crazy, but he plays <laughs> Wendy. He's getting that Netflix money. Good for him. But he plays a uh, Wendy Bird's brother, who's bipolar, and is a kind of pivotal character this season. And he did an awesome job. Although I feel like, man, Netflix is just playing this guy to play like emotionally stressed characters. Like he's got to be tired. <laughs> Like he's a drug addict in Iron Fist, right? Yeah, he's like a hardcore drug. Yeah, he's a hardcore drug addict in Iron Fist, and he's an unstable bipolar man in in Ozark. So, yeah, (laughs) I mean, he's really going to some interesting places. 
But um, yeah, so Ozark season three, and it, and I got to tell you, I mean, the last episode and right down to the ending is it's pretty gnarly. So just check that out on Netflix if you have a chance. Uh, let's talk about this PS5 controller. I wish uh, the Avengers Endgame edition controller for PlayStation Five <laughs> uh, has been revealed. And it already has Brandon Davis talking trash in his eternal Xbox oh, first PlayStation. Look, it is a weird-looking controller. It's okay? not. It's a cool-looking controller. By Nintendo 64 standards? Bunch like, of haters. It, it needs to be this, like, it fits in the palm of your hand like the Xbox One controller. Have you held it? Which is a perfect controller. <laughs> this Have is a perfect I love you brought props to this. Like, I know for real. top or something. Have you Perfect. held the, have you held the controller, which is no, I can already tell. It looks like it's going to feel weird in my hand. Oh my God. Oh geez. Okay. Well, no, uh, it looks like I'm, holding two bananas that are connected to each other. I'm sensitive. No, that was the original PS <laughs> PS3 controller. <laughs> yeah, it was the huge. giant boomerang, banana boomerang, yeah. boomerang controller. Yeah. yeah. Which I did see someone paint that over the top of it. And that made me laugh because that controller was terrible. Uh, and it was rolling. I think it yeah. was our gaming editor well, Roland, yeah. who did that. Yeah. Um, yeah. The Dual Sense, though, actually looks cool. I still say, and we'll get into some of the details, but like, I still say that like my favorite stick layout is actually the Xbox. Like, I like the sticks. Like one, like that right. diagonal the superior layout. controller. Uh, the I like yeah, the I love joystick layout. However, upon holding an Xbox One controller, it's fine. Uh, I will wait for judgment until perfect. I actually hold one of these in my hands. <laughs> do you PS4 like do you controller. like the PS4 controller or the Xbox con- One controller better? Uh, I actually prefer the Xbox One controller. I actually think that, uh, yeah. oddly enough, I, pref- I prefer the feel of the PS4 controller in my hands, but somehow I'm better with an Xbox One controller. <laughs> I just like, like it's a better thing. controller. You know it's what? You know what? It. Oh, it's, it's, oh, I love it. Now here's the thing. I right. think Jim has hit on the biggest thing though, which is the the aside from the stick layout, because like playing a scuff controller, I have all the PS4 features and also the stick layout of the Xbox. So it's like best of both worlds. But what I will say is the PS4 controller is too light. <laughs> Feels wow. like I can snap it in my yeah, hand. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Unfortunately, that is not changing because <laughs> this one is lighter. Because <laughs> they've made they made it lighter. Well, they get their money from re-ups of controllers. If somebody's gone through like five of them, <laughs> yeah, like you know, they they don't stand up to emotional distress very well. Um, I, can I also you. can we all I, agree though? Can we all agree that the Nintendo Switch Pro controller is one of the best? I mean, I'm just saying. I have not, I have not held that. The, yeah, yeah, I, I haven't held that one. I, I play man control. Neither. Oh, none of you wow, guys have held the controllers. <laughs> sorry, don't. I'm sorry, you have no oh, concept wow. of Smash Bros. Wow. I still love the Dreamcast. Know that I could whip that ass. Hill. Um, I, I mean, I the Dreamcast controller concept. is basically the Xbox controller. No. Whoa. No. Whoa. No. Yeah, bro. No, that's sit the Duke. Sit down. The, X, the original <laughs> Xbox, the Duke. Where you, you play like holding a football like that? <laughs> yeah, and the Dreamcast uh, triggers are still my favorite triggers, like period. Yeah. But you're all are uh, just describing okay. weirder and weirder controllers. <laughs> anyway, back on to the Dual Sense. Okay, the Dual Sense is actually kind of uh, one. It, they're trying to make it lighter, but it's because they added in haptic feedback and they added in uh, additional things to the triggers to like give you more feedback. So like that stuff is actually going to make it way more. So they're just trying to, they said they're going to implement things to make it lighter just to compensate. So it won't most likely be any lighter than the PS4 controller. Uh, But my biggest thing is I actually really like the share button directly on the PS4 controller. Uh, That one is getting replaced with the create button. 
uh, I imagine it will have the same, some of the same features, but they say it's going to expand upon it. Um, so, I mean, I'm hoping you actually get more features because I don't know if anyone's tried to share a screenshot or whatever from <laughs> PS4. Uh, it's not the most intuitive step-by-step uh, oh step step process. You do hit that stupid button a lot. And you hit that button a lot. That's the thing is. Just as a reaction. And then two, it brings up the side menu, stops the game, has like 90 options. Yeah. Like, okay, <laughs> that needs to be streamlined. Uh, but yeah, if you're into that kind of thing, that's fine. I'm not. So it's like the annoying button that like I <laughs> yeah. avoid I, I, that I, section of the controller entirely. Cause yeah. I, I mean, I do try to use it. Like I always think it's like a more useful button. Like I'm always like trying to pull up a map or something. And then it's like <laughs> screenshot and my body's just falling out of the plane still and free fall. And I'm like, Oh, come on. Like the, I think the design is awesome. I like the design and I've yeah, already no, seen- I like the PS4 controller. I just don't like that button's function. Yeah. Uh, and then also the I do PS5 like that controller. they are okay. adjusting and speeding up the uh, recharge. Like the battery is supposed to last longer, which mm -hmm. I feel like I charge my battery twice a day if I have any kind of extended gaming session. And that's annoying. So I mean, I, I haven't had that problem. My batteries have been good. Uh, it's more the physical I, stress. I will say the one feature that I read that this controller will have is a microphone on the yes. controller. Which is yes. actually, which is very, very cool. Um, I, mean, I don't know why you would have a, a microphone and not a headset. Uh, it feels like a weird, like, echo chamber waiting to happen. But I will say that is a very cool feature to add. I, I think it's really smart just because a lot of the people, I'm, and I'm amazed too, because as someone who, like, gamed a lot on Xbox Live on 360, uh, you didn't talk to anyone without a headset, so it was yeah. never an issue. But... Yeah. In PS PlayStation Land, like you, you get that a lot of like, oh, I don't have a headset, and I'm yeah. like, I, that's I why. Think, that's why it's such an awful service. No, that's not true. But no, I it's think not. The first it's really played, not. But you, you don't need to talk to anybody. Thanks to Battle Royale, <laughs> no, I don't see, need to talk is, to anybody. This is the funniest thing about the the PlayStation Four headset is like all you need are are like your iPhone yeah. headphones. Yeah. yeah. It's you plug those in and that's nope. your headset. That's exactly. all you need. But no one knows that for some reason. Everyone's <laughs> like, because it's years of gamers headset. like me who were raised. What? Dude, it's years well, of being raised. In. It's fine. Years of being raised to condition to always have to go out and get like the exact company Xbox made us all this way. That's yep. who did it. Bill <laughs> Gates did that when we started gaming. It was all like, you can only come here and get that weird three prong monstrosity yes. to stick in your thing. And it's like, yeah, one day I was so scared. I just remember sitting there like with my PlayStation 4 controller and my like Apple earphones. So I was like, come on. I was like, don't blow up. Don't blow up. And then <laughs> I was like, wow, it works. Yeah. It was it, a new day. It was a new dawn. But uh, yeah, yeah, man, you don't need a headset. I don't want to talk to people. We don't want to talk to each other. Come on. I mean, it's the just, thing is, there's enough awesome single player games on the PlayStation, unlike the Xbox, that you don't oh, really need a headset if you're gaming alone. We are the independent. <laughs> you don't. We're, we're not you the know. codependent system. Like yeah. I'm sorry. When you have Spider-Man and Final Fantasy VII Remake and God of War and Horizon Zero Dawn, you, it's fine. Yeah. You but just yeah, well, that's one of my, my favorite features about it is that PlayStation does those party, the party system. And so me and a few of my friends will log on and we'll join into a party where we're all yeah. playing our own single just player games. We don't play yeah. multiplayer. Yeah. Just talking. And then I can do that thing where I can share my game and pass them the controller and they can play the same game that I'm playing, like basically kind of take over my concept, my console through streaming. And that's a ton of fun. Like if, yeah. Hey, I haven't played Friday the 13th or I haven't played horizon zero dawn and they can just come over and be like, Oh yeah. I'm gonna, they basically looks like they're sitting next to me playing the game. 
I pass my controller to them, but they're not sitting at home halfway across the country playing their own game. It's pretty awesome. That's a perfect segue over into our discussion of Final Fantasy VII Remake, which will be out by the time you hear this. Our comicbook.com gaming site has gotten uh, the code and gotten able to play their first impressions. I'm sorry. I've been lagging out, so we're recording this like 50 times. <laughs> and so I now have like no idea what I'm saying. But I want to read you guys these impressions while I'm here and still able to. Uh, this is from our gaming editor, Rollin Bishop, who has been hard at work getting into Final Fantasy VII Remake. He says, Final Fantasy VII Remake meets and exceeds expectations for what should have been an impossible task. The recreation of the iconic 1997 original. In fact, it's as if the original video game was only a skeleton, with Remake fleshing out nearly every aspect of its Midgar sections and beefing up characters, storylines, and more. It truly does not matter if you've played it before. Final Fantasy VII Remake is a stunning achievement and sets the bar for every single remake to come after it. You can tell this man is trying to get on Metacritic. He does a good job right there. That's a great blurb. Um, but that's a perfect blurb. Um, it also kind of goes to what you, Matt, were saying when you did your kind of first preview impressions of the game, which is that, like, yeah, this is not even just a remake. It is just a re-envisioning of this classic game in, in a kind of bigger, better way. So as we sit here, I think you just got your code and you're super excited. I am very excited. <laughs> yeah. Is this like is this like the third remake of the year? Fourth uh, remake? Is, well, it sounds like it because I mean yeah. there was Resident Evil three that just came out last week. It was so good. Which is yeah, I was pretty. I was on the fence about all these remake games that they're doing because you know it kind of just reeks of uh, of a lazy symptom that's hitting the game industry, kind of like it's seeping out from Hollywood hitting games. But the remakes that I played, like, I loved Resident Evil 2. Their remake was yeah. so good. And the demo for Final Fantasy VII was amazing. So yeah. I'm very excited for this game. Well, and I, that's the difference, right? That's because, like, they're not straight. Like, we're used to remakes being a word for a remaster. Like, that's what exactly. remakes used to be. It was, hey, it's a port. Slap some bonus whatever that we had sitting in the files that we didn't use the last time around and we'll put them in there like Hulk <laughs> holding a giant phone, like that kind of stuff, right? And that's what remakes used to be. And then when Shadow of the Colossus hit and that remake was like from the ground up, gorgeous, exposes it to a whole new audience, like that's the kind of remakes that we get now. That's why when you get a less than stellar one, it's like, well, that's trash. Like I'm used to this whole revamped battle systems new cutscenes, expanded content. Like, the, that's what these games do. And that's, I mean, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, ba mean, the battle system for Final Fantasy VII originally, like, that, that system, as fun as it is, it's kind of outdated for new generation consoles and, you know, real-time combat. And so having it kind of in the same vein of Kingdom Hearts and Final Fantasy XV, like an actual active combat system, is, is kind of what you have to do. And the way that they kind of incorporate those old ATB battle system styles that they did for the original Final Fantasy VII is pretty ingenious. And it is just like yeah. a best of both worlds type situation. Yeah, I mean, I've been hesitant to jump into the remake game remake genre because I've been scared because I have such like fond memories of like playing Resident Evil and the first time I was so scared by that or Resident Evil 2 and the kind of the epic scope of that and things like that. But I'm definitely going to play this. So I think I'm going to pop my cherry on this and then probably go back and play a bunch of those old survival horror ones. Cause I love that. But, um, you guys can check out our full impressions in the gaming department's impressions on comicbook.com gaming. By the time you are listening to this, cause they are going to be into it. It's a 40 hour game and it's only the first part of this. Like it's <laughs> there's so much more. Of this That's is coming. Weird, so. Yeah. 
Yeah, so that's crazy. That's awesome, and it's good. The last time I played Final Fantasy VII, I was locked indoors for 10 days in a blizzard of Philadelphia, and like now here we are again. So here we go. <laughs> can I set Keep the stage for when I first played Final Fantasy VII? So <laughs> if you can picture this, all right, okay. I had... I was I would get home from school and I would move the second TV, which was like a giant box TV, and I would move that into uh, my mom's room because she had the even bigger TV, and I would have that playing BET music videos, and I would have the little TV wired up playing Final Fantasy VII. That is literally how I played like the first half of Final Fantasy. VII. <laughs> was There's like, no better way to play it. it was I'm like to Josie and Aaliyah and Genuine videos. That's so weird. Yeah. It was, is. So it is. Weird. That's why I thought I would set the perfect picture. There's nobody else that has an experience quite like that. <laughs> I was in Long John's wrapped in a quilt, having going crazy from isolation and yelling at the screen because I was so deep into that story. But Look, you guys can keep your Final Fantasy. I am just going to play Fantasy Star Online 2 on my Xbox until the cows come home. Uh, I have a Why can't we play both? I Why can't we play both? Because, no, because both of those games require um, 46,000 hours of gameplay. That's you true. can either play one or the other. So uh, I have a there's question. enough time on our hands right now. So <laughs> <laughs> did, did you play doing much else? Fantasy Star, like on Dreamcast? Yep. Oh, I loved it. I okay, had it hooked so, up into my phone no, line no. with a keyboard plugged into yes. my... Yes. Oh, my, my God, Jim. Yes. I did not know we shared yeah. this. Okay. Uh, I don't know okay, what's but happening, but you, we're not going down this rabbit hole. But did you play Fantasy Star 4 on Sega Genesis? That's the real that question. I oh, God. All right. Listen, we got to move on. <laughs> we got an interview with Ashley Eckstein to get to. We got a lot of stuff to do today. It's not usual. This is not the usual shenanigans. <laughs> this is pretty much the end, but Matt, you wanted to save oh. your... Yeah, I'm going to shout out some real quick and then we can get to the awesome interview, which is really cool and you should really stick around yeah, we'll for We'll talk it. about um, this Marvel symbiotes and heat thing. We'll talk about it next show because I feel like it's just this uh, needs more discussion. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we can definitely touch on that at a later time. I will say right now with the way things are, people are looking for content to play. Uh, there is, while there might not be a ton of movie reviews and TV reviews, uh, there are some amazing tabletop things that have either recently come out before all this happened or stuff that is actually still coming out now. So uh, definitely check the site for, we have a bunch of content, Final Fantasy trading card game, Forgotten Waters. Uh, there's a new game that's hitting Kickstarter soon. The Wolfenstein game uh, had a chance to play that. So we got a lot of content coming out for that. And it's a, honestly a lot of stuff you can play over Zoom as long as you like both own the game. And it's surreal and kind of cool. So definitely stick around on comicbook.com for that. All right, that'll do it for our News Flash segment. Stick around because when we come back, we are going to talk to Star Wars' Ashley Eckstein, the voice and soul of Ahsoka Tana, about her new book, I Am a Padawan, plus a whole bunch of other Star Wars lore stuff that you want to be sure to hear. So stick around for that. All right, Comic Book Nation, we are here today with, I would say, one of Star Wars' most iconic figures. Uh, I hope we're not embarrassed you by saying that. We have lots of arguments in-house over here about what the word icon means in the industry, but I think this time, I don't think anybody can come at me for this because this is a legitimate Star Wars icon. Ashley Eckstein, thank you for being with us. The voice and soul of Ahsoka Tano 
in the Star Wars franchise. We were so happy to kind of sit down and talk to you today, uh, both because, you know, we just wanted to talk to you, period, about <laughs> Star Wars and get into all that, but because the timing was kind of interesting because you're releasing your first children's book, and it's out now. It's called yes. I Am a Padawan, and... I thought this was kind of an interesting concept and I was really actually interested to talk to you about the book itself because what they said over in what I kind of got is that the book, the children's book kind of follows Ahsoka's journey in the Star Wars universe to becoming a Jedi and kind of does that for children. And I, I have two children myself who, you know, oh. I force them into my beliefs of geekdom. So <laughs> I have a lot as of- As you should, as you yeah, should. Right, yeah. Uh, so we have a lot of children's books. These become more interesting to me because we have a lot of children's books that do make it palatable to them to kind of sit down and get into these fandoms a little bit. And so I have like cute ones for like Darth Vader is my dad, you know, for my daughter and stuff like that. But this one was interesting to me and I really wanted to talk to you because I mean, when I saw the premise, my first question was, so how does this book kind of handle the actual subject matter it's presenting, which is how Ahsoka becomes a Jedi? Because that's not an easy story in Star Wars. It's not like what you would think maybe like the easiest one about accomplishment would be. So I was kind of interested to hear your take on what the themes of the book are and what it kind of conveys to younger fans. Sure, sure. Um, but before I dive into the book, I have to thank you for the kind introduction. Um, <laughs> I, I, uh, I truly appreciate being here chatting with you guys today and um, appreciate the support. Very, very humbled by your introduction. Um, but yes, I, I actually have it here. It's a, a, little bold, a little golden book called I Am a Padawan. And, um, you know, for me, this is surreal. I have to be honest, because I grew up on these books. Like literally we had a giant bookcase of little golden books and every night we would grab a, a different one. And um, in fact, I learned to read on these books. So this is for me like bucket list level because um, I, uh, I, these books mean so much to me. And it was literally like the fastest uh, thing I ever said yes to when they asked me to write it. I'm like, yes, I will do this, whatever you say. Um, and, and also I got to give a copy to my niece and nephew and my sister sent me photos yesterday of them reading it. And it just, it was, it was so cool to kind of share, uh, share the love and pass it on to a new generation in our family. But uh, to your question, um, the approach I took actually, because, you know, the book is, the, you know, the, it's part of the I Am series and it's, it's, you know, meant to be like, uh, I am a Padawan, but what that means. And so the approach I took really is not, how you are chosen to be a Padawan, but once you are, what does it mean to be a Padawan? Because a Padawan is just a student. So kids that read this, even though these stories happen in a galaxy far, far away, they're very relatable to kids today because all kids are essentially students, whether they're students to, you know, your, your parents, uh, who I say parents are the true Jedi Knights, um, or teachers, you know, um, they, they can still learn the same lessons that Ahsoka Tano learns. So in the book, um, and let's see, I'll, I'll find something here, you know, um, you know, it says I am a Padawan, I am a, a Jedi in training, but it addresses a uh, certain lessons. So, um, Let's see. Uh, this is actually one of my favorites. Uh, I got to address uh, failure. And how I address it is I, I went back and I binged watch 
several of uh, the episodes from Clone Wars and my favorite moments. And I picked the lessons that Ahsoka learned in those episodes. Um, here's another one about with Ahsoka and Padme about helping others, uh, which is very important during this time. And um, let's see, uh, there's lessons, especially for kids on patience. So there's all sorts of lessons. There's lessons of bravery, um, hope, knowledge, and like I said, failure and helping others. So whether kids are learning them for the first time or whether it's as adults, I don't know about you guys, but I need reminders to be patient and brave and always have hope. Uh, so whether it's for kids or for adults, hopefully it's a, a book that the whole family will enjoy. I'm not sure those lessons are necessary, like right now per se. No, oh, I don't know. Yes. I could use some patience. Yeah, some hope, some hope, <laughs> yes. hope, patience, and bravery. Yes, I, I think those are in uh, high demand, along with toilet paper, right about now. <laughs> yeah, all of those things. Yes. So, um, does the book kind of cover also when to say forget about it, break with the establishment, and start your own <laughs> venture your own way? Do we get into that? Because I've been trying to get my kids into that mindset, you know, that CEO mindset already. Um, <laughs> well, so it's funny. Um, I, I do address it, actually, because it was important for me to uh, to go through the, the whole series. You know, I, I don't obviously go through the final season yet um, that, we're, that we're watching now. But I do address Ahsoka walking away. Um, so, you know, I, I even have back here, and I have to mention, shout out to Shane Cluster. Uh, he did all the illustrations for this book, and they're truly wonderful. But I, I bring up Ahsoka going on trial. And, you know, we talk about, uh, you know, hope and truth, as you can see on that page. But then also um, Ahsoka walking away and choosing her own path. Oh, so, wow. um, so yeah, I mean, I, I definitely, it was important for me to go there and, uh, you know, at the end it says every Padawan, um, has a different journey. Where will your journey take you? Because to your point, um, about, uh, you know, kind of your CEO mentality, um, I, uh, I had a very non-traditional path in my own life. Um, you know, I, I actually, I didn't graduate college. I, I went to college briefly and then I moved to LA to become an actress and, you know, eventually started my own company, but I learned on the job. I, I had no training whatsoever in business. And, you know, I think the message that I want to get across is a Padawan is a student. So, you know, for the kids reading it, they should be able to take these lessons and apply it in their own life. And the one thing I hope they take away is that every Padawan has a different journey and what journey is yours. Sold. I, I could use that book for uh, very good reasons. Uh, I love in that. In all seriousness, I mean, like, yes, there's, you know, just not to get too heavy with it, but yeah, there are certain things that I would want my kids to know for being independent and, and going through that that are very important. So I'm very glad that uh, that, that that's in there, that the, the whole story in that kind of bringing something to kind of bolster those difficult moments is, is very important. And I'm glad that Ahsoka gets to kind of be the symbol of that because that's kind of what she's become to millions of fans in the franchise. So just kind of transitioning from that, now that we're kind of talking about this, I was just kind of, we were talking the other day and I was making a joke that, you know, Ahsoka now is like this major character who fills in these gaps between like all the star Wars eras of the movies 
Like she's become this prominent player in the Clone Wars. Then she's now we're getting this story finally about how she got out of like Order sixty six and did that and got in you know survived that whole first era between the original you know the uh, prequel trilogy and the original trilogy. Now we even have things like Rebels, which kind of have further that mystery. And now we're even getting kind of hints that we could even see something like The Mandalorian, which takes her story into the sequel trilogy era, which we know. And you even did a kind of voiceover for Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker. So she's just kind of like trapezing through all these kind of uh, places in the franchise. And one thing I'm kind of interested in, I know we don't want to spoil the end of Clone Wars, but I'm kind of interested in how we've seen Ahsoka so far in season seven. Uh, she's kind of very much not shed her Jedi persona. She's not wielding lightsabers. She's kind of keeping her whole Jedi kind of status on the low. And I was very, I'm mean, more and more interested as the episodes go on about certain jumps in her character, where, how we go from that point of her kind of, shedding that Jedi identity to kind of where we see her in Rebels, where she's like back to even more masterful Jedi status and a more formidable warrior than we saw in her younger years and kind of that whole transition. Is there anything you can that interests you about that character arc or that you think fans should be excited about? Oh, well, I will tell you, there is a lot to be excited about with these upcoming episodes. Uh, you know, these first four episodes in the final season, um, the arc with Trace and Rafa, uh, you know, I, I, I've, I've been reading a lot of people's comments and everyone wants to make the jump to the Siege of Mandalore. Everyone's waiting for that because I feel like, like me, I mean, we've been waiting for that ever since you know, Clone Wars was, was canceled at the end of season five. We just want to know, um, you know, thankfully because of Star Wars Rebels, we know that Ahsoka lives. We know that she survives, but we don't know how or why or what happened. So, you know, I had all those same questions. So I understand why everyone wants to, you know, jump straight to it. But I will say these first four episodes where she goes on this journey with Trace and Rafa are so important to her, to her own journey. Um, and so they should definitely not be skipped over. Uh, you know, Ahsoka, you know, we see her very lost. You know, she's so confused. Every, everything that she believed in, you know, she, she's questioning now. And in many ways, no longer believes in like all her trust was just completely shattered. Um, but being a Jedi is all she knows. You know, Plo Koon found her at such a young age and brought her to the Jedi Temple. She doesn't know a life that's any different. So these first four episodes, of course, you're still going to see her kind of using her Jedi ways because she kind of doesn't know how else to be. But then she doesn't really want to act like a Jedi because she's no longer a Jedi. She gave that up. Um, but I think Trace and Rafa give her, uh, give her a bit of a new purpose. And, you know, it's actually the line that's most important to me in the whole season. Ahsoka says, um, well, Rafa asks Ahsoka, she says, why are you helping us? And Ahsoka says, in my life, when I find people who need your help, you help them no matter what, I guess it's just who I am. And when I recorded that line, I knew that that was going to be my own personal motto for 2020. But little did I know, none of us knew about the coronavirus and that these episodes would be airing in the middle of a worldwide pandemic. And truly, the only way we're going to get through it is by helping each other. 
no matter what. And um, so I think these episodes are very important to then watch the Siege of Mandalore that I don't want to say too much, but I will say these episodes are epic. Like truly some of the best Star Wars I think that's ever been made. Um, everyone brought their A-game. Everyone brought their best to these episodes and they're truly mind-blowing. And I think they're going to be essential viewing you know, now moving forward, especially, you know, as part of the films from episode two to episode three, like you really need the siege of Mandalore to understand everything that, that happens in the Skywalker saga. It's pretty incredible. Have you found that if we were also talking about how star Wars has changed in just like the last five years alone, because I remember the day when trying to get people to fight and tune into things like clone wars, or Rebels, the animated series, or the books, or the comics. And they would say, oh, I just watched the movies. But now, kind of, Lucasfilm has really pushed this cross-platform where everything is connected and kind of matters. Have you found that it's changed for you in terms of, like, exposure? And has the fandom really kind of dug, begin to dug into, like, the animated side and discover things like, Ahsoka, can you kind of tell the difference in the last couple of years? Oh, definitely. Um, there was a huge change, I would say, once Clone Wars went to Netflix. So Netflix opened up Clone Wars to an entire new audience. And and then now from Netflix to Disney Plus, um, you know, that that just it, it just, you know, it, like a whole new generation has uh, is now experiencing Clone Wars, um, and then also not to mention, uh, you know, Star Wars, Star Wars Rebels, because Star Wars Rebels introduced a whole new generation to Clone Wars. Because all of a sudden, characters like Ahsoka Tano were sh were showing up on Star Wars Rebels, and people are like, "Wait a minute, who is she?" And so then they were going back and watching Clone Wars. So it it's been amazing, um, you know, getting to. Uh, meet new fans. And, and for me personally, um, you know, going back to your question before, I apologize, I feel like I didn't fully answer it about Ahsoka. You know, she's become so, so powerful and so inspiring uh, to people all over the world. Um, there's something about Ahsoka when she walked away from the Jedi Order in season five, she connected with people on a whole different level. And I started receiving stories from fans all over the world about how Ahsoka either changed their life or saved their life. Wow. And, you know, from day one, I always knew how groundbreaking Ahsoka was. And so that's why I dedicated so much of my heart and soul and life to Ahsoka. Um, she literally became a part of me and I, I saw that sh how much good she was doing. And, you know, I, I, I view it as such a privilege to be a part of the Star Wars universe that I so badly just want to do good with it. And I want to be a real life version of Ahsoka. Um, but, you know, once Ahsoka walked away at the end of season five and I truly saw the impact that she was having on people's lives, um, you know, I wanted to just can continue that in any way I could. And, you know, kind of be a real life reflection of her um, and and help continue her legacy in any way that I could, uh, you know, whether it be narrating the audiobook or, you know, you know, voicing toys or, or making merchandise or just writing books 
or, you know, being on the front lines at conventions, that's very important to me because I, I see that this is not just a character that people tune in to watch and then they forget about. No, they're literally taking the lessons that Ahsoka's teaching in these episodes and then altering the course of their life. And that's something I don't take lightly. I take it very serious or very seriously. Here's a deep dive question because we do love to deep dive on this show. <laughs> Considering all you've, I mean, you obviously have a profound grasp of Ahsoka and what she means and everything. So I guess you're the most qualified to answer this. Do you, we know, like I said, Ahsoka over the course of these different eras of Star Wars progresses. We know that by Rebel, she is a much more kind of wise and powerful warrior. Um, and she even shows up in the final chapter of the Skywalker saga, uh, Rise of Skywalker. You had a voiceover thing that when I heard it, I wasn't expecting it, but I instantly recognized <laughs> your voice and was like, wait, whoa, whoa. And, you know, my head started geeking out about what this all meant. Um, people thought she was a forest ghost, Dave Filoni saying she's alive. That's that, there's that whole debate. But it's obvious that at that point, she's powerful enough to, with the force to, to be showing up for Ray in that moment, mm -hmm. to feel what's going on, to know and sense and be able to communicate with her. So obviously over the course of the saga, her force powers don't become smaller. She grows and develops and evolves. Do you still consider Ahsoka a Jedi, even though she left the Order and is in this weird space that is arguably the best... Or, or the most kind of solid representation we've had of like this gray Jedi concept, which people often confuse as like somebody who uses the light and dark force, but it's like, yes, that's not quite it. That's a color match. Yes. But like, that's <laughs> not a, a concept for force usage if the dark is imbalanced. But if somebody is a Jedi, but isn't part of the Jedi and is kind of in this weird in-between space, how do you define that in your head for the character? Like at this point? Is Ahsoka a Jedi, just not recognized by the Order? Is she something else, her own thing? How do you define it? That's a great question. I'm going to preface this by saying this is just my opinion and how I define it. Because all story questions, you know, definitely should go to Dave Filoni. Um, I, you know, sometimes when I say stuff, people think like, oh, you know, that's it. She knows stuff and it's canon. And, and truly, this is just my opinion. But in my opinion... You know, Ahsoka was trained in the Jedi Temple. You know, Jedi are supposed to be keepers of the peace, you know, peacekeepers. And they're supposed to help people and, and do good and, and, and bring hope. And um, Ahsoka takes that very seriously. Uh, and, you know, she walked away from the Jedi Order because, you know, she, her trust was broken and, and she no longer kind of believed in, and, you know, she knew what she believed, but she no longer believed that they stood for that after what happened to her. Um, so Ahsoka, you know, continued on her own path. But I think the one thing that, in my opinion, has always stayed with Ahsoka and does go back to her roots and what she was taught is, to me, Ahsoka represents hope. Ahsoka, in my opinion, represents the light side of the force all that is good. Um, and, you know, she says, uh, you know, in Rise of Skywalker, uh, the first part of the line is, let the light guide you. And Ahsoka says, as it guided us. So clearly, Ahsoka was always guided by the light. And, you know, just like, not to, not to plug my book, but I bring this back up because we're talking about this at the end where the final lesson is to choose your own path. And Ahsoka 
chose her own path. Um, but I think she still all along her path stayed true to what she was taught. And I think she at her core, uh, wants to be a spark of hope. Uh, you know, whether she's helping start the rebellion or, you know, guiding Ray towards the light, um, or helping each other, uh, no matter what. Um, I think Ahsoka is probably one of the most pure at its core Jedi, because I think she never strayed from what she was, she was taught. Ooh, we should make some Ahsoka was right t-shirts. I think, they, <laughs> I think they, I get on that. That yeah. is a merchandising gold mine. Please get yeah. on that. Show her walking out. Ahsoka was right. I get it. I, I'd, I'd get one for myself. Um, final question on the star Wars front. Uh, and I know Matt has a couple for you. Um, like we said, close to the beginning, Ahsoka's reportedly going to be making the jump to live action in The Mandalorian, uh, which is brought up because a lot of people instantly kind of flocked to your defense. Like, no, this is only Ashley's character. It's a similar situation we saw with like Tara Strong over in DC with um, Harley Quinn and then Margot Robbie. Um, how did you feel? How do you feel about the idea of the character kind of expanding into live action? How do you feel about it? I mean, this has been kind of your baby for so long about sharing this and are you excited to see something? What are your general thoughts and feelings on that? No, absolutely. Um, You know, as I I shared on Instagram, I I truly don't know anything about the Mandalorian. So it's something I, I, I really can't speak to. Um, So, I mean, what you know is what I know. Uh, However, Ahsoka has always been bigger than just me. Um, you know, I've always been very outspoken about the fact that I am one member of a team of people that brings Ahsoka to life. You know, you know, it started with George and Dave Filoni creating Ahsoka. Um, you know, fortunately, you know, I was able to help originate her character. I was allowed to bring my heart and soul and personality and wit and wisdom to this character. Um, but along with, you know, Joel Aaron always lighting Ahsoka beautifully and the animators animating her beautifully and Kevin Kiner giving her the most beautiful music. Um, you know, Ahsoka's always been bigger than just me. And, you know, as, as we talked about earlier, I, I, you know, I don't have kids. Ahsoka would probably be the closest thing to, uh, you know, a kid for me. She is literally a part of my heart and soul. Um, I care about her so deeply that I, I would never want anything bad surrounding Ahsoka. I only want what's good for Ahsoka. And more Ahsoka stories can only be good, in my opinion. Ahsoka brings people so much hope and so much light. And... I will always be a cheerleader for that. So, um, you know, I will say one thing I read a lot of, and I, you know, I've been outspoken about just because I feel like I need to be outspoken for, for all voice actors. Um, voice acting is acting. And, you know, some people say, oh, well, you know, she's just a voice actress. Um, no, I actually, Ahsoka was my first voiceover job. Uh, I, I was primarily a film and television actress before I became Ahsoka. Um, so I've, I do all sorts of live action and and film and television. Um, but the only reason I bring that up is not even in for myself, but, uh, voice acting is acting. And some of the most brilliant actors I've ever met are voice actors. I mean, Corey Burton, who is the voice of Count Dooku and, um, Cad Bane 
is probably one of the most brilliant actors I've ever witnessed in my life. So um, I only say that just because I think it's important, you know, to, to speak up for voice actors. We're, we're all actors at the end of the day. Um, but going back to your question, uh, I just, I support anything that Ahsoka's in because uh, I, it, it can only bring people goodness and light and hope. So I'm, I, if it's true, I'm excited we get more Ahsoka. Yeah. Yeah, voice acting. I mean, it didn't stop that Luke Skywalker guy from becoming one, you know, pretty kick-ass <laughs> Joker. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I, I also say that because one of the the most asked questions that I get from people is, you know, how do you become a voice actor? They, I get asked that probably every single day. And, um, you know, that's why it's important for me to bring that up too because my first, the first thing I always say is, well, voice acting is acting. So, you know, the technique is different. You know, because yes, you're standing in front of a microphone and you're not on a set and you're not moving, but the emotion and the acting is the same. Um, so I tell them right away, I'm like, well, are you in an acting class or are, are you already an actor? Have you taken acting classes before? So, um, so I, I share that because it's important. Anyone that wants to be a voice actor, it's, it's, it's acting. So I recommend that you take an acting class. I know Matt had a couple for you, uh, on other related fronts because he's a man of variety. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh well, actually, and, and you kind of, uh, brought up one too. And it's one of those that, uh, I have like. Uh, spoken to a lot of voice actors in the past and and I guess that is a thing of interest there's like this um it's it's like a lot of people ask well how do I break into it and and that's that way across Hollywood but especially across voice acting like you said so is it what is the biggest misconception about being a voice actor is it like the time involved or the you know uh the like long hours like what what is that number one thing of like someone makes an assumption about voice acting you're always like you know the first thing to shoot it down i i would say the biggest misconception is that voice actors are not actors um and, and that's just that's the farthest thing from the truth um you know the acting at its core is is the same it's it's the same performance you know emotionally you would give whether it's on camera or you know or behind a microphone um so i think that's the biggest thing because some people think that voice acting is just doing crazy voices and so they're like oh well i can do a crazy voice and i can be a voice actor um, it's, it's more than that. You know, it's definitely, definitely acting. Um, you know, for me, I actually did, you know, the opposite. I, I moved to LA when I was 19 and I was solely a film and television actress. And I was so inspired, you know, growing up by the Disney princesses, uh, you know, like the little mermaid and beauty and the beast. And I wanted to be a voice actress, but I had no experience in it. And luckily I had an agent that, you know, agreed to send me out on auditions, but I auditioned for four years. Uh, probably I was rejected at least 400 times, um, before I got the, the voice of Ahsoka. Um, and it was truly because of acting. So I think that's the biggest thing is, um, because I've read a lot of comments online that, you know, uh, uh, especially addressing the rumor, they were like, well, she can't do it. She's just a voice actress. And, you know, for, for other voice actors and even for someone that wants to be a voice actor, um, that's just not true. So I highly recommend if you want to be a voice actor, just get into acting. You know, my career started in theater 
then it transitioned to, um, to hosting, then it transitioned to film and television, and then it transitioned to voiceover. And um, you kind of just have to dive into it all. You have to just, you know, keep going on auditions, never giving up. And, um, you know, they often sometimes say for every 100 auditions, you get one job and it's a lot of rejection. Um, but you just keep going because you just never know when one door slams, uh, a window opens and you just got to keep going. Well, and, you know, across your career, like, I mean, Star Wars now, it, it's become one of the like, you know, uh, most highlighted and standout parts, but you've also been all over other genres and other pop culture, you know, things like DC superheroes, uh, Sophia, the first, uh, as my daughter starts to watch, uh, shows now, like I have so many to pick from, and that is one of the ones that's been recommended to me. Uh, ultimate Spider-Man is another one. Uh, so of those characters in those previous projects or, you know, other DC and Marvel characters that are out there, is there one you would want to return to in the future or a character that you would want to crack at that you haven't been able to do yet? Ooh, uh, a great question. Um, you know, I've had a lot of fun playing in the Marvel universe. Uh, you know, uh, let's see, Lady Alana, uh, and the, she eventually becomes the queen of Atlantis. I just recently did that in the Marvel Avengers series. I think Black Panther's quest. I had so much fun because she was very different from Ahsoka. I mean, similar in some ways, but she was almost like a Cersei Lannister type. Um, and, uh, you know, very kind of fierce uh, kind of s strong character. I mean, Ahsoka's strong, but uh, she's just strong in a different way. Um, so that was a, a lot of fun to play that character. And I'd love to play her again in something. Um, and then I, you know, it was an honor to be a part of the DC uh, superhero girls universe. And, you know, I got to voice Cheetah, which is very different. Um, you know, what most people don't realize is, and when I was on film and tele, did a lot of film and television, I was always the mean girl, um, which was frustrating because it's like, if you know me, it's like the farthest from my personality. But I think it was the blonde hair. They just, I was always stereotyped as the bully or the mean girl. And so uh, Cheetah is, is the mean girl. So I, 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 you know, it's kind of fun playing against type for that. So I uh, would love to come back to Cheetah if I get the chance. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's the fun thing with voiceover too, is you get to play all sorts of different characters. Obviously I would never play a bluebird in live action. Uh, so, <laughs> so to get to be a singing bluebird for Disney was also a dream come true. That's awesome. <laughs> and Hey, don't rule it out. Technology is amazing. You never know. Yeah. Bluebird that's acting true. is just acting. Um, <laughs> Uh, I think that'll do it. Uh, we've picked your brain like far longer than we were probably supposed to, but we wanted to thank you for coming on and taking the time. And uh, yeah, I know you got two customers sold already for this book, so that's a good start. I hope oh, thank you're having you. a good uh, time just with the release. And uh, I mean, it's kind of, it's got to be, I'm having been in writing for many years. I, I can't imagine how weird this must be releasing a book at this time and kind of off the usual format and just trying to figure that out. So I hope that's all kind of going okay and low stress for you as well. Um, but you we know, are, I'm sorry. You know, yeah. Oh no, that's okay. What I, what I will say is actually for the book and for Clone Wars, um, you know, when obviously all of this was happening and then the lockdown happened and quarantine happened, 
you know, it was a bummer at first because we had a lot of really cool things planned, uh, whether it was fan screenings or premieres um, or with the book, you know, book readings at bookstores. And I love that. I love meeting fans. I mean, that's probably my favorite thing about being Ahsoka is getting to go to conventions and events and signings and just meeting everyone and especially the kids. So it was definitely a bummer. But then I realized I'm like, no, I, you know, I'm a firm believer that everything happens for a reason. And, um, when it comes to the book and these new Clone Wars episodes, um, I think the reason is because Ahsoka really does bring people so much hope and so much light. And I think we need Ahsoka now more than ever. So I'm actually very proud to be, you know, releasing this book during this time where everyone's stuck at home and they're looking for an escape to get their mind off of the news. You know, the fact that parents are going to be able to read this to their kids before they go to bed and teach them these lessons. Like literally it looks like when all hope is gone to never lose hope. And um, I actually think it's the best time for these episodes to come out because they're really helping a lot of people no matter what. So um, I feel blessed and grateful to be able to share this message during this time. Well, thank you very much for sharing it with us. And again, we wanted to just thank you for coming on the show and uh, being here. Thank and we're you. all very much looking forward to these last final Clone Wars episodes. And especially <laughs> your the duel between Ahsoka and Darth Maul, which I, I already have a feeling is going to go down as one of Star Wars greats. So we're very much no looking pressure. forward to that. No pressure. No, no, no pressure. pressure. <laughs> uh, I, I think you might be right. How about this? How about we chat again after you watch the episodes? Absolutely. That would be fantastic. <laughs> we would do that in a second. So we want to thank you. Um, we hope you stay safe. Uh, I'll handle all business while in this new format. And uh, yeah, we look forward to talking to you again. Thank you so much. You guys too. Be well. And may the force be with you. Oh, thank, thank you. you. That feels so yeah. good. Yeah. yeah. We're not best. used to that uplifting kind of thing around here, but uh, yes, thank you. Thank you very much. Awesome. Have a good day. Thanks guys. Bye. That was our interview with Ashley Eckstein. We want to thank her again for coming on the show. If you are a Star Wars fan and you got kids, be sure to get I Am a Padawan because like, seriously, it does teach good stuff that kids should probably know. That'll do it for this episode of Comic Book Nation. We want to thank you guys for tuning in as always. If you are just getting acquainted with the show because you're on lockdown and we have a captive audience that is expanding, you can always find new episodes of the show on, Wednesday, on Wednesdays and Fridays on comicbook.com where you can subscribe to our RSS feed and get new updates about new episodes on the show. Or you can listen on your favorite podcast listening platforms. We are on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Google Playlist, iHeartRadio, and you can find uh, good old episodes of the show on the comicbook.com YouTube page. If you want to discuss anything we talked about on the show with us or just give us a shout out, hit us up at the hashtag comicbooknation or you can find me at Kofi Outlaw. You can find me at Matt Aguilar CB. Jim and JK don't know who goes next, do you? <laughs> We're like a standoff. You can find me uh, at Jim Viscardi on Twitter and Instagram, wherever you, uh, wherever you want. And you can find me at woe is Joe at Twitter or Instagram. When are you changing that? When are you changing? Yeah. When are you changing that? Even though it's a great name, to be fair. You're not that guy anymore. You're not some 20 emo kid. Like you're, you're married. You got a, you got two kids. You you seem pretty happy. You should be fine. (laughs) What would I change it to? I don't know. Kofi Outlaw part two. Joe is joy. No, Joe is joy. (laughs) Joe is happy. Yeah. Joe is joy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's amazing. DJ Schmidt. Do it. Yeah. You DJ don't want to know my AFI phase. 
No, username. please. No. Ugh, All right. Please. That'll do it. We needed an awkward ending. So here it is. Thank you again for tuning in to Comic Book Nation. And we'll see you guys next show. Stay, uh, stay indoors. Stay healthy. Stay checked in. And uh, join us for our quarantine watch parties. They're only getting bigger. And we love to see you out there. So uh, be sure to join that because BD's got this wave rolling. And it's oh, but if you're fun. listening to this on Friday, so the day that this comes oh, out, Jim knows stuff. We, we are doing Dragon Ball Super Broly oh, with nice. Chris Sabat and maybe Sean Chevel. So if you're listening to this on Friday, Friday night, you get to you get to join in with us. It's yeah, get up on that. Broly is uh, is going to be a good time. So Megan's going to get in part on of that. that, right? Sure yeah, is. Yeah. Megan Peters, yeah. Queen of Anime. We couldn't do it without her. So. That'll be that. That's our next quarantine watch party. You heard it from producer Jim Viscardi here. Be sure to get in on all of that. Otherwise, thank you for tuning in to Comic Book Nation. We'll see you guys again. Peace.